we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of murder and violence against children. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single myth about Lamia. Today's episode combines elements from a number of ancient Greek legends, stories, and lore to give you the most dramatic retelling possible. Dawn broke over the Mesogio Sea. Gentle waves lapped upon the smooth, rocky beach. At the water's edge, a child named Menippus dried himself. His morning swim had been a last-minute decision, some exercise squeezed in before today's boring studies. The boy glanced up and noticed the sun was higher in the sky than he expected. He was late again. Menippus knew that the path through the coastal cliffs would be the shortest route home, but it was also said to be where she lived, Lamia. Menippus shook the ugly thought away. He refused to be frightened by the bedtime stories told to him by superstitious caretakers. The coastal path was steep and rarely used. As Menippus traversed it, he came across a fallen boulder that blocked his way. He struggled to slide around it, careful not to fall over the edge. Suddenly, a few pebbles fell around him from above. A large shadow passed over Menippus as something darted across the ledge above him. Startled, he desperately shimmied around the boulder and immediately turned back, but saw nothing. He did, however, hear something. The hiss was soft and surprisingly pleasant. Although his brain warned him of danger, Menippus was inexplicably drawn to whatever hid behind the boulder. He climbed up a ledge to get a better look, but saw nothing. Suddenly, the air around him chilled and turned damp. He felt a breath on the back of his neck, causing his knees to tremble. 
something cold coiled around Menippus's torso and lifted him into the air as he came face to face with the woman who held him he gasped the stories were true Lamia was real Menippus watched as Lamia opened her mouth her jaws unhinged like a snake two sharp fangs each coated with venom protruded from her lips. The boy screamed, but it was too late. Lamia struck. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. Today we're discussing Lamia, a diligent mother and queen of Libya whose love affair with Zeus proved her undoing. When Hera, wife of Zeus, struck Lamia's children down in front of her, she unleashed a monster that still haunts the children of Greece today. Greek mythology is full of stories in which the queen of the gods takes revenge on her husband's mistresses. Known for her jealousy and vindictive nature, Hera served as an antagonist to those who would defy Olympus. At a time when social guidelines and moral codes were difficult to enforce, myths like these were used as tools to frighten the public into good behavior. It's with that in mind that we can begin to understand how the story of Lamia survived and why it's still told throughout Greece, even today. Ancient Greek parents and caretakers used the story of Lamia as their own cautionary tale. Described as a child-devouring demon, Lamia served as a warning to children who would defy their elders. In this respect, she's been transformed by the gods into a sort of ancient Greek boogeyman. Although the term boogie did not originate until the high to late Middle Ages, the concept of an evil creature, spirit, or monster that would harm a person for their misdeeds existed long before that. It's an idea that has persisted, extending from ancient Greek parents scaring their children into compliance to modern-day horror movies about characters who are punished for committing immoral acts. As the oral literature of Lamia became popularized during the classical age of Greece, her story evolved. Instead of being depicted as an arbitrary night demon, Lamia became regarded as a once-beautiful queen transformed by grief into a monster. 
and her tale turned from a children's bedtime story told by parents to a warning meant to show what happened to those in Greek society who dared to offend the gods. Lamia strolled along the shores of the Mesogios Sea. Her toes were numb from the cold water, but she was not yet ready to go home. She'd always loved the sea. Here it was quiet and peaceful, a stark contrast to the bustling palace back in the capital where she ruled as Queen of Libya. A clap of thunder warned of an approaching storm. Lamia grinned. She looked forward to it. Lamia motioned to her top soldier, who quickly approached with a horse. Although her guards wished she would ride in the safety of a carriage, Lamia always rode on horseback. It was said that horses were created by her father, Poseidon, god of the sea. Lamia mounted her horse with grace and rode for the capital. Back at the palace, Lamia dismissed her guards and entered her private chambers. As the storm outside raged, she opened a large window to her room and sat on the bed. A shiver ran up her spine. Although she was excited, Lamia was also nervous. It had been some time since his last visit. A powerful wind blew apart the silken curtains, and with a crash of lightning, the king of the gods appeared. Zeus grinned and said, I saw you at the ocean's edge. I had almost forgotten how beautiful you are. Lamia pretended to be upset. She rose from the bed, walked across the room, and poured herself some wine. You wouldn't forget if you visited me more often. Zeus knew Lamia was acting. He feigned a frown and returned to the window as a lightning bolt formed in his hand. The thunder reminded Lamia that Zeus could leave if he pleased. She strode across the room and flung herself into his arms. It was impossible to stay mad at the ruler of the gods. The two lovers kissed. Lamia whispered, Your children miss you. Zeus responded, Those are your children, and they do not know of me. Besides, tonight... I am here for you. Lightning flashed, painting Lamia's chambers in golden light as Zeus carried her to the bed. But as Lamia laid down, the elation she usually felt while with the powerful god had been replaced with an overwhelming sense of dread. The next morning, Lamia awoke with a start. Her dreams had not been kind. In them, her eyes were stuck open, forced to watch many terrible things. She glanced around at her chambers. Soft light filtered in through the window, and the outside weather was calm, a sure sign that Zeus was gone. Suddenly, the door swung open and three children spilled into the room. Lamia smiled and forgot her nightmare as she watched her offspring, Herophily, Achilleus, and Scylla, chase each other around the bed. Herophily and Achilleus tugged on the curly brown hair of their younger sister, Scylla, eager to set off her furious temper. Scylla begged her mother to stop Herophily and Achilleus from tormenting her. 
When Lamia playfully refused, Scylla leapt upon the bed and demanded the gods above transform her into a powerful monster so that she may defeat her older siblings in battle. A voice echoed through the chamber, Be careful what you wish for, child. Hera, queen of the gods and wife of Zeus, stepped into the room. Frightened, Lamia's heart beat furiously in her chest. She had heard stories of Hera's jealous and vengeful nature. Lamia held her breath as Hera approached Herophily, Achilleus, and Scylla. The children huddled close together as Hera calmly studied them. Finally, Hera said, They have my husband's eyes. Lamia dropped to her knees and pleaded for Hera to let her children go. They had nothing to do with her love affair with Zeus. The queen of the gods sneered. They have everything to do with this. Hera slowly reached out and touched the forehead of Herophily. The little girl's eyes rolled back and her lifeless body collapsed to the ground. Lamia jumped up, determined to protect her two remaining children. Hera smiled and snapped her fingers. Lamia stumbled, her legs lost all their strength and she fell. But she refused to give up. There was too much at stake. Using just her arms, Lamia dragged herself across the floor. As Lamia crawled closer, Hera reached out again. This time, she touched Achilleus. His breath stopped and his body tumbled to the ground. Anguished, Lamia knew that Hera would not stop. The god was punishing her for laying with Zeus. Lamia squeezed her eyes shut. She could not bear to watch her youngest child, Scylla, die. Hera bent down and gently lifted Lamia's chin. With a spelled breath, Hera blew against Lamia's closed eyes and whispered, Watch. Lamia's eyelids dissolved as if covered in acid. The pain was excruciating. Hera turned Lamia's head and forced her to watch as she touched Scylla. The young girl dropped dead. Lamia screamed in anguish as Hera stepped over her and returned to the window. As quickly as the god had appeared, she was gone, leaving behind nothing but the subtle scent of lilies. Lamia pulled herself over to her children. She could not feel the lower half of her body, but that hardly mattered now. Everything she had lived for, her legacy, was gone. Lamia grabbed Scylla's body and squeezed it against her chest. The young girl had already grown cold. Lamia felt a wicked chill enter her broken heart, filling it with grief. The chamber door burst open and soldiers rushed in. Without thinking, Lamia hissed at them slithered rapidly across the floor to the window and disappeared over the ledge.
Next, we follow Lamia as she transitions from Queen of Libya to child-hunting monster. Now, back to the story. Lamia, once the beautiful Queen of Libya, suffered much after the loss of her children. Hera's punishment to Lamia for her affair with Zeus was not only severe, but ongoing. Lamia's missing eyelids prevented her from ever sleeping, and her legs were paralyzed. The curse placed upon Lamia's body caused her own people to shun her, for they too feared Hera's wrath. With nowhere to live, Lamia retreated to a hidden cave on the coast, where, over time, her grief drove her to the edge of insanity. There, a single idea engulfed her. She wanted to hold her children again. The Greek myth of Lamia is thought by scholars to have originated from ancient Mesopotamian demonology, dating back between 3,000 and 4,000 years ago. As a monster known for feeding on children, she's similar to other female demons from that time. Demons such as Lamashtu, who ate children and caused mothers to miscarry, and Lilith, a child-killing witch. As the story of Lamia spread throughout ancient Greece, several popular gods were added to the tale, thereby cementing Lamia's place in Greek mythology. Hera exacting revenge against Lamia for her love affair with Zeus became a key part of the story. Later, the Greek traveler Pausanias would describe Lamia as the daughter of Poseidon. The physical characteristics of Lamia also changed during this time. Once seen as a monstrous demon or beast, ancient Greeks began describing her as beautiful and enchanting. Considering the popularity of serpents in Greek mythology, it's not surprising that they too became part of Lamia's myth. The use of serpents in ancient Greek culture is extensive and complicated. At times they represented wisdom or medicine, the rod of Asclepius, a staff entwined by a serpent and wielded by the Greek god of medicine, is a symbol still used in the modern medical world. But serpents were also used to evoke fear. The monster Typhon was often described as having a hundred snake heads upon his shoulders. As our story continues, it's important to keep in mind that Greek audiences were expected to have empathy for Lamia. For while she's undeniably monstrous, her story is also one of tragedy and loss. Years had passed since Hera killed Lamia's children. She now no longer remembered much of her previous life. Here, inside her hidden cave, Lamia's mind had eroded from the many sleepless nights she had been forced to endure. All that remained inside her from that painful day was a sense of grief caused by the loss of her children and a void that begged to be filled. Lamia listened to the drops of water as they fell into a nearby cave pool. The rhythmic sound beckoned her. These days, she preferred the water to land. Her deformed legs had slowly fused together, and although she was unable to walk, Lamia could slither through the water like a snake. 
Lamia dragged herself across the rocky ground with her arms and slipped into the pool. The water was cold but also liberating, and Lamia enjoyed the weightlessness of her body. Lamia swam to the edge of the cave pool and gazed out at the moonlight. She'd taken refuge in the cliffside cavern after being hunted by the same Libyan soldiers who once served her. Initially, the soldiers wanted to help Lamia and return the queen to her rightful place in the capital. But as time passed and her loyal subjects grew old and died, that changed dramatically. To the new guards, she was nothing more than a grotesque creature. The sound of laughter drew Lamia's attention to the coast below her cave. There, a young boy splashed in the waves. When Lamia noticed that the boy had curly brown hair, an image flashed before her, Skila. Suddenly, Lamia remembered that her own children were dead. Anguish washed over Lamia. The pain was unbearable. She grabbed her chest and exhaled slowly through her clenched teeth. An irresistible urge enticed Lamia out of her cave. She pulled her broken body down a steep path to the beach. Her limp legs scraped over the jagged stones, but Lamia was determined to reach the boy playing in the water. She desperately wanted to hold him in her arms. Lamia used the outcroppings of rocks to dodge the moonlight, taking care not to be seen until she arrived at the coast. As a wave crested upon the sand, Lamia slipped into the water. In the ocean, she moved with agility and grace. Snaking through the water, a memory briefly returned to Lamia. In it, she stood on a beach with her toes in the water. Stood, she repeated to herself. Lamia shook the memory away and focused on the hunt. Lamia swam beneath the surface of the water until she was close enough to see the boy's feet. She paused for a moment, relishing in the notion that he had no idea she was beneath him. The hunt was enjoyable, but the urge to hold the boy quickly returned. Lamia longed to squeeze him tight, forever, as if he was her own. Perhaps that would fill the emptiness in her heart. Lamia reached out. Her sharp fingernails grazed the foot of the young boy and cut him. Blood trickled from his wound. Thinking that something bit him, the boy reached down and grabbed his foot. Lamia tasted the blood in the water. It was surprisingly good. Hunger gripped her stomach as she watched the boy tread water. Then, something inside her changed. As her grief faded, a craving grew. But before she could act, the voice of another boy drew her attention. Lamia rose slightly out of the water to get a better look. On the beach, an older boy beckoned to his younger brother. The older boy said, Lycius, it's late and you don't know what's out there at night. Besides, our mother is worried. It's time to come home. 
Lycius laughed and yelled, The same things that are out here at night are out here during the day. To which his brother replied, If you won't do as you're told, she will get you. Lamia felt a hunger pang in her stomach, but suppressed it. She watched patiently as Lycius swam back to the beach and told herself that having two boys would be better than one. Lycius, perhaps sensing that something was not right, turned back. But before he could spot her, Lamia disappeared beneath the water. As Lamia retreated back to shore, she realized she would have to be careful. In the water, she was capable of overpowering most people, but on land, her legs would be a hindrance. If Lamia hoped to catch the two boys, she would need a plan. While Lycius dried himself on the beach, Lamia quietly crawled across the sand to the edge of the cliff. She knew the brothers' route home would take them down the forest path. If she could climb over the bluffs fast enough, she would reach it first. Lycius and his brother had been walking down the forest path for about half an hour when they noticed a storm approaching. Overhead, clouds blocked out the moonlight, shrouding the path in ominous darkness. Lycius ran ahead of his older brother, eager to get home before the rain drenched him. And although he hated to admit it, he was also scared of Lamia. Lycius told himself that the stories about Lamia were just that, stories. But the thought of a cursed woman crawling through the forest in search of children frightened him to the bone. The sound of a twig breaking made Lycius spin around. He expected to see his brother behind him, but the trail was empty. He froze, unsure of what to do next. It was eerily quiet on the path, and Lycius felt that someone, or something, watched him. Lycius called out for his older brother, but no response ever came. Lycius peered into the surrounding forest, taking his time to look carefully at the deepest, darkest parts. He hoped to see his brother hiding behind a log or bush in order to scare him, but there was nothing. Lycius felt a raindrop on his head and looked up. The storm had arrived. Eager to find his brother and return home, Lycius stepped off the path. The forest was dense, and he struggled to navigate his way through the underbrush. As he stepped on a moss-covered rock, Lycius's foot slipped and he fell on his back. When he sat up, he saw it staring at him from the shadows. Lamia lay on the ground, squeezing Lycius's brother in her arms. Lycius gasped at the sight of her. She was covered in mud from crawling on the ground, and her legs looked like they'd merged into one long tail. Lamia gripped Lycius's brother tighter and tighter. His eyes bulged and the boy convulsed violently for a moment. Lycius wanted to help, but it was too late. His brother was dead. Lamia looked up at Lycius and smiled. Lamia released the dead body and inched forward on her stomach. She whispered, Come closer, boy. 
Lycius was in shock from watching his brother die. His feet felt heavy, and he was frozen in place. He couldn't take his eyes off Lamia's fused legs as they left a trail in the mud, a trail that led back to the dead body of his brother. Lamia opened her mouth, and Lycius saw that two of her teeth were sharp, like fangs. Again, Lamia whispered, Closer. Her voice was soft and enchanting. Spellbound, Lycius closed his eyes and awaited the inevitable. Lamia sprung up, grabbed Lycius, and pulled him to the ground. As she squeezed him tight, the pain drew Lycius from his trance. He struggled, but it was too late. Lamia had him in her grip. Lamia pulled Lycius close. Her body was cold and smooth. As she squeezed him, Lycius couldn't breathe. He grew weaker, and the forest around him got darker and darker. Lycius closed his eyes and lost consciousness. Lamia released Lycius and looked up at the clouds, disturbed that the weather had grown worse. Usually, Lamia hid inside her cave during bad storms. The lightning reminded her of Zeus, and she couldn't shake the feeling of being watched. But tonight, distracted by her hunt, the storm had snuck up on her. In order to feed comfortably, Lamia would have to drag the boys back to her cave. The rain had turned the forest path to mud. Lamia slithered down it like a serpent. With a boy held under each arm, Lamia felt powerful. No longer would she be a victim of the gods. Now she was a predator. Lamia swept her fused legs back and forth, propelling her faster down the trail to her cave. Although the cavern was damp, it provided shelter from the raging storm. Lamia laid Lycius's body upon a smooth rock in the back of the cave and prepared to eat him. Lycius stirred and his eyes fluttered. Good, thought Lamia. A warm meal is better than a cold one. On instinct, Lamia unhinged her jaw and slithered forward. Lycius opened his eyes and cried out, but Lamia bit down, muffling his screams as she devoured him whole. Her belly full, Lamia coiled into a circle and gazed out at the night. Although she could not sleep, Lamia would at least be content for now. Next, Zeus must decide whether to destroy Lamia or to take pity on his former lover. Now, back to the story. Lamia was severely punished for her love affair with Zeus. Hera, queen of the gods and wife of Zeus, not only killed Lamia's children, but also placed a curse on her. Unable to walk or sleep, Lamia languished in her grief and slowly transformed into a monster. During this time, her body took on the characteristics of a serpent. Her fused legs melded into a snake's tail, and she developed venomous fangs. 
Initially, Lamia stalked children in a vain attempt to ease her heartache, but the more she hunted, the more she developed a taste for their blood. Zeus stepped in through the window of Lamia's old bedchamber. It was obvious that the room had been sealed for many years. Most of Lamia's personal items remained untouched, covered with thick layers of dust and sand. He bent down and touched the silken covering at the edge of the bed. It was an extremely valuable piece of fabric. If the mortals had left it to rot, it was because they were afraid. In fact, it was their prayers that drew Zeus down from Mount Olympus. The angry parents of missing children had made offerings to him by sacrificing goats, pigs, and sheep. All of them begged for one thing, to rid them of Lamia. Zeus tried to remember the last time he had visited Lamia, but time was different for gods and mortals. A short while in Olympus could in fact be ages in the world below. Zeus pondered this as he explored the abandoned bedchamber. Suddenly, he felt a sinister force emanating from the corner of the room. There, an old blanket moved as if something was under it. Zeus approached it slowly, curious that such a dark energy existed in a place that had once held great joy. He lifted up the blanket to reveal dozens of small snakes. They slithered out around Zeus's feet. The baby snakes had long tails and the heads of poisonous vipers. Their scales reflected light like hundreds of tiny gems. Although they were beautiful, Zeus had no doubt that their venom would be deadly to mortals. As the snakes dispersed, Zeus saw the crack in the floor that they had slithered out of. Something was still inside. Zeus reached down to grab it and held it up before his eyes. It was a perfect white lily. Zeus's jaw tightened. He knew exactly what had happened here. Hera. Moments later, Zeus stormed through the golden gates of Mount Olympus. Deep down, he knew that his anger at Hera was misplaced. It was he who had set these events in motion, but Hera's punishment had been far too severe. It was not the first time the queen had acted harshly towards Zeus's mistresses. It would not be the last. Zeus shoved aside his guards and entered the massive hall. In the center, Hera counseled with some of the other gods. Sensing Zeus's anger, she sent them away with a small nod. Zeus pulled a baby snake from his pouch and threw it onto the table. Then he held up the white lily for Hera to see. As her symbol and favorite flower, it could only grow where she had been. Hera approached the table tossed aside the snake, and poured a goblet of wine for herself. She didn't care that Zeus was upset. According to her, what had happened to Lamia was his fault. Watching Hera, Zeus realized she had made a terrible mistake. 
Hera had forgotten that Lamia was not just a mortal woman. She held the blood of a god inside her. Zeus explained to Hera that Lamia was a daughter of Poseidon, and therefore a spell used against her would have unintended effects. Hera thought for a long time, then offered to return to the land of mortals, find Lamia, and remedy the problem. Zeus responded, No, I will do it. As a bolt of lightning crackled to life in Zeus's hand, Hera pulled her husband close and told him a secret. Lamia slithered out of the cave pool and pulled herself up onto a warm rock. Her tail was now covered in slick scales and shaped like that of a snake. Making herself comfortable, she used the tail to flick aside a pile of small bones. Small pottery figures, rattles, and other toys lay strewn about, a testament to Lamia's many victims. Suddenly, a bolt of lightning crashed into the cave, breaking large stalactites away from the roof and sending them crashing to the floor. Lamia bared her fangs and prepared to strike. She sensed another presence in the cave, but unlike the soldiers and so-called heroes that normally hunted her, this intruder held actual power. Lamia felt something she had not felt in a long time, fear. As the dust settled, Zeus stepped into the cave. Lamia was taken aback. She remembered the love she once held for the mighty god and for a moment longed to embrace him. But Zeus's eyes sparked with electricity and anger, warning her that this would not be like one of their old visits. He was here to kill her. Zeus said, Lamia, what happened to you was not your fault. Nevertheless, I am here to give you peace. Lamia reared back. A fiery rage swelled inside her chest. Here, standing before her, was the root cause of her anguish. It was Zeus's fault that her children had been murdered. It was his fault Lamia was no longer a queen. His fault that she had become a monster. Lamia forced venom to the tips of her needle-sharp fangs and struck. She doubted that she possessed the power to kill the ruler of all gods, but she wanted to hurt him badly. Lamia's fury caught Zeus by surprise. His ego had led him to believe that Lamia would be happy to see him again. He instinctively raised an arm to defend himself. Lamia's fangs sunk deep into his forearm and released their venom. With a roar, Zeus flung Lamia across the cave. She crashed into a wall and quickly retreated outside into the storm. Zeus grabbed a bolt of lightning and soared high into the sky. From there, he searched the cliffs, forests, and beach for Lamia. There was no sign of her. Although Zeus hated to ask anyone for help, he now understood that to find Lamia, he would need the aid of one who could see far and wide. 
It was only a matter of time before the monster escaped, and Zeus did not wish to search for her again. He sent a single bolt of lightning high into the night sky, a signal to his animal companion. Lamia held her breath and swam beneath the rough ocean surf. Her eyes, which she could not close, burned in the salt water as she pressed on. She would have to find refuge elsewhere, away from the coasts of Libya, perhaps even across the Mesogio Sea and into Greece. Her rage had subsided, replaced now by fear. Suddenly, something large splashed into the surf from above. Lamia felt a sharp pain. She looked down and saw two large talons gripping her tail. Lamia attempted to dive deeper into the ocean, but whatever had her was strong and plucked her out of the sea. Lamia looked up and saw the golden eagle, Aitos Dios, Zeus's personal messenger and companion, carrying her back to shore. She opened her mouth wide and bit the eagle's talon. Her fangs sunk deep, but her venom was dry. She had used it all on Zeus. Aitos Dios flung Lamia down upon the rocky shore, where she landed at the feet of Zeus. Lamia lifted her head defiantly to Zeus and said, If you are here to kill me, then do it quickly. I do not wish to look upon your vile face more than I have to. Zeus touched his arm. Although he was a god, he was not impervious to pain. The wound burned, but would eventually heal. He said, As I told you before, I came here to give you peace, not to kill you. Zeus touched the tip of his lightning bolt to the edge of a large stone, chipping away two small, smooth pebbles. Zeus took the pebbles and placed them against Lamia's eyes to use as eyelids. Lamia closed her eyes for the first time in years. She felt calm, but not without grief. She would never forget that Hera had murdered her children. Zeus pointed at the sea and told her to listen. Three voices called out to Lamia. They said, Mother, we are here. Zeus lifted Lamia's chin and explained to her that Herophily, Achilleus, and Scylla were not dead. Hera had not killed them, but transformed them into sea creatures. While they would never be the same, they were at least alive. Lamia sighed deeply and suddenly felt exhausted. She looked up at the cliff and saw her cave. Turning away from Zeus, Lamia slithered up the path toward her home. There, in the back of a damp cavern on the coast of the sea, Lamia fell asleep and finally found peace. As ancient Greek civilizations evolved throughout the 8th and 7th centuries BCE, so too did Lamia's story. Paganism became more popular among the Greek people, and so Lamia transitioned from being a thoughtless boogie monster to an important figure in their religion. 
Even after paganism was outlawed, Lamia's myth continued to spread because it acted not only as a scary bedtime story for children, but also as a way of explaining death during a time when infant mortality rates were high. Also, in an age when civilizations were ruled by a patriarchal society, the story served as a warning to women who were reluctant to become mothers. One of the more recent retellings of Lamia comes from the romantic poet John Keats. In his poem, aptly titled Lamia, written in 1819, Keats depicts her as a serpent-turned-woman who tricks a young man into falling in love with her. At their wedding ceremony, the young man's mentor, Apollonius, reveals Lamia's true form, resulting in the man's death from heartbreak. The story of Lamia remains popular to this day because she not only represents the frustrations and fears of ancient guardians and caretakers, but also of modern-day parents. Lamia is ultimately the terrifying story of a parent whose guilt and envy led them to an insatiable hunger. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Paul Mahler. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Adam Boland, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 